0: check mic. It's good. Miss Mrs. Zoom has told me that recording is in progress, thus beginning our interaction with the machine. Here we go. Don't you hate when podcasts start with what they
1: were talking about before the podcast started, Eric? Well, like I was just saying to you before the podcast. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's kind of like Uh, Isn't that our vibe, though? It's sort of like, hey, we just sat down at the bar with a beer. Come listen in. (laughs) Yeah, you're coming in mid-conversation. Well, I say that I
0: hate when podcasts start with what podcasts we're talking about before the podcast started, but I'm sorry. We have to do this. Eric got me feeling kind of manifesto-y because we were talking earlier today, and what did you say, Eric? Something, Something to the effect of... I like posthumanism. It sounds pretty good, but when it comes down to it, we're not really arguing about anything that matters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I put it quite like that, but there's definitely like a limit to my interest in posthumanism. I I I think when it comes to like post humanism versus humanism or versus transhumanism, yeah, okay, I'll go with post humanism but I think when it actually comes to anti-humanism, I'm maybe a little more on the side of the anti-humanist angle I guess you'd say with uh like starting with like Nietzsche and running through uh running through uh Foucault but I mean all to yeah. So we're, if we're talking about anti-humanism versus
0: humanism, or I sorry, anti-humanism versus post-humanism, non-humanism could have be one of these terms as well. So you can have a non-human methodology. Like I'd say, m- most of the sciences don't really care if there's a human around or not. If you're if you're looking at a, even a, if it's a human brain, if you're a neuroscientist, whether or not the human exists is kind of outside the scope of your of your method there. And non-humanism or anti-humanism says something antagonistic towards, you know, the humanist tradition.
1: Well, yeah, I I think um if anti-humanism to me seems more like a methodological choice. It's not like misanthro it's not misanthropic. It's not it's not a yeah, hatred yeah. of humans or anything like that. It's it's a kind of methodological decision which I believe people like Lumen and systems theorists make, as a point, they make themselves into anti-humanists, which is just to say that when we're looking at systems, human or individual is not the unit of analysis here. Well, I would call post-humanism something a little different. The way that it works uh, in
0: my mind is that it takes the things that were previously ascribed to you know, a human individual at the center of all things. And then gives that role to something else. So a system. I would call that post-humanism rather than anti-humanism because it's taking the humanist aspects and diversifying them or decentering them
1: rather than being against a human. Yeah, you could see a lot of this coming out of Derrida and Deconstruction as well. It's not it's not that we're making a new center. When you decenter the human, you're not. Putting something else in its place, you're more so making like a a plurality, right? Where any anything can can occupy the central position, in but only temporarily. Like you can't make it into a foundationalism, or you can't make it into a kind of universalism. You just have to continuously decenter, continuously self-critique, or whatever Foucault, the kind of like permanent critique kind of approach which just seems like a journey that has no end, I guess, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's not satisfying for some people, but like I emphasize, you know, post is quite new and it doesn't have a lot of its terminology down, there's different interpretations as we've been going through critical, cultural, post-humanism, technologically focused, animal focused, it's all kind of still very up in the air. All right, well, I'll challenge you
0: on saying this comes down to arguing, again, about things that nobody actually <laughs> believes. I'll give a case, maybe, and you can uh, buy it or or, or challenge it. Because here's where it matters to the listeners of, like, of this podcast specifically. Because um, we do political theory a lot of the time, and we do leftist theorists a lot of the time. And this is actually f- where I where I hang my hat because here's why it matters. Um, the basis of our politics, most of the options. if you're if you're shopping around in the marketplace of ideas, if you're shopping around, you have a few shelves to look at. You got your liberalisms, um, you got your Marxism, or at least nominal Marxism. You have your anarchism or nominal anarchism. And each of these, And I wouldn't say Marx himself, by the way. I should addend that. But if you're shopping around, all these politics have at their center, or the core action that produces politics, is usually self-interest. And that changes a little bit, as sometimes it is class interest. But most of the time, if you're libertarian or liberal it really comes down to individual self interest is the thing that makes politics occur and if it's, if those self interests are not realized then you need an explanation for that you need a descriptor that deals with why people didn't vote in their own self interest and that's where you have something like ideology coming in and the explanation there is if if they're not in their if they're not acting in their interest then they're under the sway of a magical evil force called ideology, or they're dupes. But if you take a post-humanist model of politics, meaning that you're not going to start with self-interest, people are not acting in their self-interest, they are reacting to the systems that they are participating in from day to day without probably realizing it. And whether they realize it or not, Doesn't really matter because these various systems elicit responses and self-interest never in the end finally gets like reconvened. So to me, post-humanist politics, at least the kind that we're talking about right now, uh, we might get to another version of post-humanist politics, which I think is misnamed and stupid. But at least for me, this is an alternative explanatory framework as to why the revolution hasn't happened yet that doesn't need to make half of people just too stupid. So I guess I should give examples. Uh, Technology in the political process, media apparatuses in the political process, uh, where you're born, what options you have in terms of participation in systems or becoming part of them. All of this Matters much more in predicting political outcomes
1: than just your beliefs being at the center of it. Yeah. No, I I remember what I said earlier. Actually, I, I sometimes I felt like sometimes I felt like posthumanist arguments were unfolding against positions that nobody really holds. <laughs> I think I gave like absolute universalism as an example. Which it's not fair to say, I guess. Some people do think that way, I guess. But I I feel like, you know, you stop the average person on the street. Do you you think everything that, that applies to your worldview should apply to everybody else's worldview? They probably say no. They probably cite some kind of cultural relativism. And then they've fallen into my trap because I could just say then, oh, relativism is just the dualistic opposition of 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 absolutism, absolutism and relativism form a dualism. Therefore, you're a dualist, so you must be like some of those ways of arguing get me a little bit annoyed. Um, But yeah, certainly I think the problem with self-interest here as well is when I go back to my big story about. The those we mentioned them earlier those, those, those what were they the great insults or the um, the sort of shocks to uh, humans and our our sort of central position in our own worlds. Is it was you know Freud bringing up the unconscious, we're not really in control of that. And so, Sarah bringing up language, giving us this idea of a kind of linguistic preconditioning that leads to the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis and Marx saying, you know, we don't really get to choose what class we're born into, but th- our interests tend to line up with those classes. Like there's all these things that are against humans being perfectly self-present and under perfect self-control. And the one that we forget about in the humanities quite often is Darwin and, and his idea of, of evolution. But what comes out of that is this idea of the survival of the fittest, which is, I believe, not Darwin's term. I think it was Herbert Spencer or somebody like that afterwards and you get social Darwinism. But the, the, the point is that you know every creature is interested in its own survival before everything else. And that kind of self-interest Right. And that that doesn't get challenged a lot until well, it doesn't get challenged quite so much in the humanities. And this sort of multi species becoming seems to be more the normal situation rather than individuals of pure individuals of a species that are self-interested, interested in their own survival. Like that story makes sense and you can maybe apply it to what? population statistics and really get some really great explanatory stories out of it using even a mathematically rigorous approach but what about what about interspecies relationships what about what about the fact that none of us are really what we are so how do we think about that and that we don't have a great terminology to understand that the human is not really the human it's always already also something else you are you i guess to use the language of center you are a center of all sorts of interactions material and organic and psychological and social and to call yourself an individual and self-possessed and self-interested just seems to you know ignore all that which i see as problematic And I would never
0: say that something like, just in case anyone's misinterpreting, I wouldn't say either of us would ever claim that something like self-interest doesn't exist, because obviously it does. It's a useful term. It's not just a mythical, magical illusion. But to say that that is the center of politics, I think is just wrong. And if you look around, it just looks wrong at least to me, because if everyone were acting in their self-interest, we wouldn't have the type of world that we have, I would say. So a post-humanist mode of politics, at least my own personal brand of it, goes self-interest might be part of a process, but if you want to guess how something is going to go, it's far better, far more predictive to look at systems first. So What kind of media is present in a political situation? We talked about this last week. What kind of media is present? What kind of technologies are present? What technologies have caught people was I think the term we used. So basically, you start with the environment. You don't start with individuals. um, And I don't care if you're a liberal Marxist, anarchist, libertarian. Everyone is looking to the individual, it seems like, and not Marx himself, I mean internet Marxists, of course everyone's looking to individuals as the locus of political agency when systems are the locus of p- political agency and this kind of cashes out a little bit in our spheres i'd say with uh debate lordism masquerading as politics because the whole process of debating back and forth we're going to get a libertarian on we're going to get a i don't know an anarchist on they're going to have a debate this assumes again that belief is the center of the system and that if we just convinced people that our arguments are better then they would be on our side and the system would change but they're already caught up in the system and every media implication that is there they're probably talking on twitch or probably talking on youtube and so you're really you're really putting a lot of weight into human beliefs not actually looking at the wider ecology or the wider environment would be the technical term there's never in history been a revolution about belief i don't think
1: not not even the reformation yeah it it does seem like self-interest is the baseline assumption and this is common to debate lording and to politics right like politics has a certain conception of self-interest that comes from economics and because politicians want to come across these days as good businessmen, they, they have to follow this sort of model of, of economics where, you know, the marketplace will mediate between all of our self-interests. What is the market? The market's a fucking system, right? And, but they don't acknowledge that. It's, we're rational actors in a marketplace that's just like a neutral medium for us to explore. And if my self-interest is gratified a little too much... You know the in, invisible hand, or whatever they call it now, will will eventually correct that, and that's the kind of assumption in the in debates. Like when, when we're preaching to the choir, it's all it's all nice to assume that like neoliberal economics and and survival of the fittest Darwinism is not the baseline of our conversation. But it seems like when you go out into the public sphere, those things are the definitely one of the major basic assumptions that you come up against I've, I've i've read a couple times they say you know if you're talking to somebody on the street i think even carrie wolf says this if you're talking to someone on the street it's better to be a humanist because they're not going to understand what the fuck you're saying
0: oh yeah for <laughs> sure if you're having dinner with your family be a humanist yeah. just
1: that's good enough. i mean like if you start if you start you know talking to people like they're treating a fork like an object in a, and then are so like they're not really <laughs> nobody's going to no, be responsive fork, to that
0: the fork is a
1: four-dimensional yeah. object with a dark other side like see this multi-species banquet we have <laughs> who's eating who here right <laughs> are we eating the food or <laughs> are we are we just are we just uh compost in training i don't know it's it, it, people aren't responsive to that kind of thing. It's it's nice though when you're when you're preaching to the choir and you have this safe space to work out your ideas and let them grow. And but that's never re- the reality of these sorts of things, especially if you do want to change, change the world in whatever small way, right? You have to bring these ideas out to other people. And-
0: but you know what the praxis element would actually be something like accelerationism. Because you'll notice revolutions don't happen about belief they happen when there is like a power struggle or hunger right hunger causes revolutions if you if you want a revolution marxist so you know disrupt the supply chain make everybody hungry because while you have surplus laying around uh, you got surplus well no revolution sorry uh, maybe if that surplus is really unevenly distributed you can get people pissed off enough to act, which is to communicate and irritate the system. But if everyone's, you know, relatively happy, if things change slow instead of quickly, then get personal interests, your beliefs, your arguments about why your politics are better than everybody else's, just get them out of the picture, because that's a bad model. Um, Academic papers, too, arguing we need to change the world in this way. This second-order observation, they do not change things. You know, if you want to change things, another thing we could bring up is, we haven't brought it up yet, Eric, but it's uh, systematic complexity. Because the more complex a system is, the more difficult it is to change. So in a conversation between two people, one person can change the conversation a whole lot because there's only two um, inputs. But in a conversation with 50 million people, one communication event on its own does nothing, which is why academic papers are useless, because it doesn't matter how good your ideas are. If they're read by three people, they may as well not exist. So own the communication and you can own the system.
1: Yeah, and this podcast is an example of that. It is a very short chain of communication, which is <laughs> we could do this for a thousand years and we would be nowhere near what happens on Twitter in a single fucking hour. So that's the scale of the problem with with from a social systems perspective anyway. I, I,
0: I This came up in my trending topics. Actually, two things. Um, do you know Ben Burgess? He was on our show like once or twice. I think he was actually on like four times, but three of the recordings didn't work. Oh, yeah. I saw him speak in Toronto not too long ago. So Ben Burgess went on Joe Rogan. And I guess enough people to cause a stir were upset with him for going on to Joe Rogan because he's platforming and blah, blah, blah. So they're they're doing an ideological purity test on him. <laughs> yep. Um, and the other thing that I oh I don't I I I don't know really anything about this guy, but it keeps trending on my Twitter is Hassan Piker. Because Hassan Piker bought an expensive shirt. Do you know who this guy is? No. Okay. He's like a a Twitch streamer. We get on a good episode, we get like maybe five or six thousand views. This guy has like Thirty thousand viewers at any time of day.
1: Oh yeah, Hassan Piker models shirts. He, oh, he's an he's an <laughs> internet heartthrob. Yeah. Uh, so the the purity
0: police came for Ben Burgess and and Hassan Piker because they're not socialist enough. So let me let me advance this modeling? from so a systems. A, uh,
1: Andrew ocasio Cortez shirt. I see something about sex workers. Oh yeah, so he's 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 modeling these uh, left leftist message shirts. Really? He just models shirt. Let me see this.
0: Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I watched a whole bunch of Twitch people while I was making my uh, Matrix video. I I don't know what to say. I completely don't get it. But most of the main streamers on Twitch kind of play video games and talk at the same time and also watch YouTube for, lo- for sometimes it's 100,000 people at the same time. And no, I don't get it. But like this is twice the size of the city I grew up in that watched someone play video games. Um, but Hassan Piker didn't game much. Um, he was watching Republican, you know, thumbheads give speeches, and then kind of talk about why what they were saying was insane. And then he also brought up union stuff and talked about like owner owners exploiting workers in the music industry or whatever. Um, and I did I did not watch Ben Burgess on Joe Rogan, but knowing his shtick, it was probably something about socialism being a sound intellectual position or whatever that is standard fare. However, what Twitter fed me, probably because of the people that I follow, so it's pegged me as someone who is interested in this shit, what Twitter fed me in the last two weeks or so was that Hassan Piker is a fake socialist because he went to Coachella and wears expensive clothes, and that Ben Burgess only cares about selling books, so he went on Rogan to boost his popularity or or whatever. So if the algorithm, if the Twitter algorithm is correct, these are the two things that I saw, which the Twitter algorithm sent me in hopes that I would respond to these things because I assume that's what users like me on Twitter chose to respond to. And if that's what I I saw, I assume that's what thousands of people were seeing and reacted to. Now, being shown these fucking fake spectacle scandals scandals you know for internet brain purity police from what i gather uh hassan piker is being attacked for spending money i guess and and ben burgess is being attacked for platforming himself or platforming joe rogan i couldn't really tell you and i don't care i'm not their audience i'm not a 17 year old gamer or a or a the debate argument watcher. But in any case, if you want any leftist idea, a talking point, you know, uh, wealth redistribution, the value of organized labor, that capitalism is exploitative, or whatever that communique is, you want it said. And the source, for the most part, does not matter. You just, I mean you should, just want the communique itself to circulate because the repetition of a communique is itself causal. It's a systemic irritant and reproducing an irritant is itself power as we might call it in different terms. So it's not political power, not yet, but it's At least symbolic power. And if you think that good arguments convince people, you you have your academic head already shoved up your own ass. Yeah. So if you're a leftist, you should be standing on the fucking sidelines, which you probably are, clapping for Hassan Piker, who has like 30,000 17-year-olds just listening to leftist talking points all day. And uh, would they have a better understanding of Marxism if they were all listening to David Harvey or someone? Yeah, duh, of course. But David Harvey doesn't offer any of the aesthetic purchase to a 17-year-old that this Twitch gamer does. So I would like to say to, to leftist Twitter, your, your purity policing is lib shit because communiques do not depend on the source. Purity politics is out. Systems theory. Mic drop. There we go.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Virtue signaling is something that's easily co-opted by the very systems you're trying to change in order to simulate change.
0: Yeah. And probably a massive reason that you're unable to make any headway in, in, in somewhere like the United States on even the most basic popular issues is because of something like Fox News which is the most watched news network in the United States um, because even if a communique is wrong it doesn't really matter it it matters that it's said cuz what it's said is what makes it matter and this is why Trump is like still after after not being president is still one of the most powerful Republican politicians with his endorsements and whatnot simply because he as a as an image as a message was communicated so much constantly through the news media yeah even the media, even the news media that is criticizing him so from a systems theory perspective there is no such thing as bad publicity the more something it is is heard the greater of an effect it will have if you own the communication, you own the system, yeah.
1: And this is why this is why speech act theory is is very insufficient, I think, because it does look at individual speech acts and why it was attacked by both Deleuze and Guattari in their works and Derrida in *Limited Inc*. As well, it was attacked. It was attacked from various reasons, but there, actually, I can connect it to something that you were just saying and, and to something Ben Burgess said. Which is was he he does get irritated when people make that argument about platforming. You shouldn't even be talking to these people. You're platforming them or you're 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 somehow validating their point of view, even though he's going on there and arguing against them. And his whole point, you know, the title of his book, Give Them an Argument. And the reason that this is relevant here, too, is because it is you're right. Nothing Trump did, no individual speech act that he did and no collection of them, it was this sort of media amplification, right? And it's the same thing in the way when you construct an argument, you're constructing the form of something that can be repeated ad infinitum. So if we're in our workshops as leftists coming up with good arguments rather than getting out there and doing performative speech acting and v- virtue signaling and and you know f- fly swatting or whatever metaphor of, of whack-a-mole kind of thing whack a as they come up if we make these arguments and we can get those arguments to catch on and more people start making them then you're really starting to At least there could be a kind of cascading effect to that. If you come up with a really sweet argument about something and other people catch on to it, then your individual speech act doesn't matter at all because it's the argument. It's the form of what you're saying. It's the repeatability.
0: Yeah, this is where I'd push back on you, though. It's not the argument. It's what you said after, which is just the repeatability. So like Bernie's thing. Bernie's thing, tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. No argument there. Just like a a phrase that becomes almost its own symbol. And the more that circulates, the more powerful it becomes just by repetition. So the Republicans, or like the right wing, completely understands this. They're not making fucking arguments. They're saying, think of the children, think of the children, think of the children. Who's coming for them? We don't know. The gays are coming for them. The Satanists are coming for them. It doesn't matter that you know you have to be afraid for your children. The Disney's, the Disney people, they're gonna kidnap them. So I don't know. This is this is my argument against purity politics. Is you want the same thing said as many times and as many ways as possible that aligns with your views, whether or not the person is wearing a shirt that you think is too expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is the repeatability in a way, and the right is busy making memes. And making, making art in a certain way that is infinitely repeatable in an online context. And it seems like the left is losing that battle. But, you know, from the left as well, Bernie Sanders also had his campaign against big pharma. Well, oh, what the fuck happened on that when COVID came along where n- nobody's saying that anymore? That would be another interesting thing to get back into mainstream culture, right? Like, why are we giving big pharma all of this? All, like we're giving them credit and at the same time protecting their intellectual property. Right. And by that action, we're creating them as big pharma in a certain way as well. So if we just waive the patents and let other people in, but here we are two, three years later, right? They've like, it's too late now, but Holy fuck. If we just thought like that from the beginning, then maybe it would be a little different. I don't think we would have eliminated COVID cuz there's a lot of other bullshit that COVID relates to but then again again that's the another difficulty with the systems perspective is that everything is connected in a certain sense no problem can be isolated and treated in an, in a kind of vacuum everything is linked to everything else in a very and it's no it's no uh, it's, it's no coincidence that a lot of systems theorists uh, are also very interested in Eastern philosophy and also came into their own in the same kind of hippie drug culture of the 60s and 70s that also made those sorts of claims, but in a more, you know, kind of, you know, Bhagavad Gita, oceanic consciousness kind of way, but still kind of sets the sets the form up for a new kind of argument to say well yeah COVID is connected to climate change climate change is connected to capitalism and neoliberalism neoliberalism capitalism are connected to why you hate mondays like like jizek likes to say (laughs) all those sorts of things are interconnected and the problem with this complexity is that where do you start where do you start your analysis where do you start figuring shit out if every string you pluck is also connected to a hundred other strings, 100 million other strings.
0: Yeah, the one thing though that you need to change a system, especially a complex system, like if we if we just say we want to overthrow capitalism, you need so much force because capitalism is maintained by billions of interactions every single day. Like I don't maybe billions per like hour. I don't I don't know the I, I don't know the numbers of this. But you have to disrupt like either a weak point or a, of the system and it's not through belief even though I'm saying, you know, you need to control messaging to control a society. Um even that won't be enough because as we said, all
1: systems are closed.
0: So even if you control all the media, it does it's not necessarily going to have an effect.
1: Yeah, I I haven't brought this one up actually. I don't I think I brought this up in our original series we did on this sort of stuff like a year and a half, two years ago. But you know the the law of requisite variety, the the idea that that only complexity can absorb complexity. And so that's the reason, say, why Wealthy people don't need as much help as people without money, because when you don't have money, you lack the variety, you lack the complexity to absorb the shocks that come to you from your environment when the environment perturbs you, you know, and that's just a very abstract way of saying, you know, if you get sick, if you lose your job, if something like that happens, if you get into an accident, right? You don't have as much requisite variety as a celebrity does. So, I mean, I, I get into I get into it with my partner sometimes because we do follow sometimes, you know, the, like the Britney Spears case and like other famous celebrities who get into shit. And I'm like, but these people don't need help. They have the requisite variety to deal with these things. It sucks just as much for us as it does for them, just as much for them as it does for us. Yeah, okay, we're all – we are only human to fall back on that, but – they have much more requisite variety they do not need fucking help they can fly to hospitals in russia and get crazy (laughs) cutting-edge treatments they can they they can put themselves into very nice establishments that will help them get off drugs or whatever they need to do right people can't do that we require a kind of welfare state that has been dismantled because when something happens to us, we need that extra variety. And if we don't have a welfare state, then we have no, I don't know, this could be even in like thermodynamic terms. We have, we we are closer to maximal entropy. We do not have the energy to do the work to get us off drugs, to help us absorb that shock of sickness or death in the family or whatever it might be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or
0: domestic abuse. True say true say like the big case de jour is uh Johnny Depp to be honest i have no idea what's happening there but despite the fact that he might feel the same despair as anyone in that situation would except with requisite variety he probably has several houses that he could escape to in that situation a normal person in that situation of of domestic Abuse probably has no requisite variety, and there is no option but to stay. So in in systems theoretical terms, being poor is akin to having like an autoimmune disease where irritations from the environment can, and not necessarily will, but can potentially have a much greater capacity to disrupt so you are much more susceptible to changes in the environment than someone without an autoimmune disease, uh, which is like if you if, if you have a healthy immune system, you're much more able to adapt to
1: irritations or uh, external interferences. Yeah, and on a much larger scale, a good example too is is again the way COVID hit the economy right because we had such a fine-tuned economy and the supply lines were not very flexible the variety of the system had slowly been you know called and cost-benefit reduced and whatever they do to it and you know sent to other places so then when covid hit and stressed our supply lines they immediately fucking collapsed because they had no flexibility They did not, again, have requisite variety to absorb this shock again without, you know, creating all of these horrible consequences for people who then, you know, and and as is the case, you know, all all the costs that things tend to incur will fall on the people more than they fall on the wealthier sections who are actually capable of fucking doing something about this, but they don't because... Again, individualism, neoliberalism, whatever.
0: All right. So, Eric, there's one big – I asked for questions on, on our last public episode and saw some of them.
1: Can you guess what uh, the biggest question was? Um, it usually has something to do with, uh, well, how do we actually interact with our environments? How do systems work? What is communication?
0: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. I mean, you, you kind of said it, but it's all systems are closed. How can that be? And how can that be when we are talking as if these systems, you know, uh, wealth to Twitter trending topics to an immune system? How can these all be closed if we're intermixing them all? Um, they're closed and we're intermixing them all in our conversation. Our conversation is a second order system which enables us to speak about all these things in system theoretical terms. Right. So um and this is kind of the the joy to me, the the joy of systems theory is you use exactly the same terms to describe an economy, an individual's personal finances and and ability to survive based on those and an immune system. You can use the same words to describe each of them if you isolate the variables enough and the variable in each one is communication now this sounds very weird when we say things like there's no money in politics because everyone of course knows in another sense of those terms there is money in politics or you don't think in language these are both claims of systems theory which is one kind of post-humanist model of explanation so this sounds really weird. Don't worry. I know that it sounds weird. Um, and it took, it took a lot of work to figure out which terms are technical, which are used for effect. But communications, well, why don't we start with that? Communication has a specific meaning in systems theory. You can use it to describe a conversation like Eric and I are having. Um, you're part of this communication system just by listening to it. Um, You can't feed back directly. So to that, it's closed. It's a closed system. Um, And you can use it to describe conversation, like uh, non-specifically communication. But when we're talking about communication, we're talking about one thing having cause and effect value. And that's what a system is. It's where communication has value. Yeah,
1: I mean... Was I just saying earlier? Um, yes, communication. Okay, so we need to describe what a closed system really is and how communication factors into that. And actually, this is what I wanted to say. lumen brings up this disclaimer, even when he's explaining this stuff. As he'll, say, he'll say, you know, I'm going to use some terms that I can only really explain later because I'm talking about this now. So for now, you just have to accept the terms. <laughs> yes. And then I'll get to explaining them. That's like, you know... Uh, systems are very complex. So systems theory, right? You just kind of got to break into it and then work your way out. You, there's no way to start at the beginning because it's all rec- yeah. it's all recursive. It's all it's all self uh, self observation, self recursivity.
0: So don't worry. We know that it sounds intuitively wrong to say that all systems are closed, and you're not alone in thinking that. And to say there's no money po- in politics, there's no language in your psyche and there's no human beings in society. We know that sounds weird to say and we know why it sounds weird to say. But Eric, why don't you take it away?
1: Yeah, so this, this communication angle comes from Lumen and his, his teacher was named Talcott Parsons. And basically Talcott Parsons equivalent was action, right? Social systems consist of actions, right? And, and Lumen wasn't really happy with this for various reasons I won't go into um but but he wasn't happy about action being the basic unit of a system they'd already kind of decided that the human being isn't the isn't the unit of the system um but so what is it it's actions okay well lumen wasn't really happy with this because you know he'll he'll say like we what we need to do is we need to identify an operation that meets certain conditions and this operation has to be well this is one of the conditions it it's one single operation it's not a bunch of different operations so it's not you know communication is one observation payments in an economic system or another operation or you know power and legitimacy is another operation in the political system so each each system has to be composed of only one kind of operation it can't have a bunch of different kinds of operations so instead of action let's talk about communication right it must always be the same and it must be connectable so communication breeds communication breeds communication right you can think of this an analogy to biological systems right the first living cell came along and then there was life. All life came from there. It happened once, all life came from that. Life is a system. Its main operation is, is what you say? Reproduction, I guess you could say. It's not communication per se. It's reproduction is their operation in a <laughs> sense, right? I mean, it,
0: it is communication though. It is communication. And, you know, I don't remember this very well from high school biology, but um, I don't actually have to, but when cells like transcribe or retranscribe DNA, there is a communication process there. You don't like you have the RNA to DNA thing that is like communicating the transcription process. but the medium of that communication, which is communication, is a bunch of these like, floating molecules or whatever they are, nucleo nucleotides. I don't know. Where wherever they come from, they're the result of other processes. And the communication is made of basically floating leftovers around
1: that fit. And then they create, you know, the next generation. Okay. So let's call all that stuff biochemical propositions. (laughs) Those are all biochemical propositions. And in a social system, the first social system, well, we don't know where the first social system came from. We're just in a situation and we see systems around us. Some of them seem to be social systems because they consist of communications. And so when you want to make this rigorous, let's say only communications, these these systems consist of self-propagating self-generating ongoing sets of communications if all communications suddenly stop the system would cease to exist and as we say you know there are billions of little communications going on every day in every system and so I mean that communication would stop is actually just crazy it never does it happens all night 24 um, 7 so This is what Lumen says here: a social system emerges when communication develops from communication. So we're speaking right now, we're communicating. So there's a kind of, there's a kind of speech and response kind of idea going on in, in, in this, right? And, and the question of what was the first communication Lumen points out is already a question within a communicating system. You can't really answer that question from within communication, but it's pretty clear that there are systems and that communication seems like the candidate for the single basic operation that goes on in social systems so that's right and let me pick up for you there and the re and
0: communication in a system is internal the reason that we know this is like the proof that systems are closed is that Communication between systems has errors in it. So, we're not saying that it, I mean, technically it doesn't happen ever because they're closed. But when we have something called a structural coupling, that's how you get something from one system to another. If you buy a politician, if you bribe them, that would be a structural coupling between, you know, money as a system and politics, insofar as that person can go and like, take your bribe and then vote for whatever you paid them for. Mm -hmm. But because that can fail, because the guy doesn't have to take your bribe, that shows that those are two closed systems. So let me make this, let me just talk about what we are doing right now. We're having conversation. If it were the case that I am a sender and Eric is a receiver, then it doesn't make sense that in a, in a, we have clear equipment, our equipment's working, that he could misinterpret what I'm saying. Or we could say it another way, that you, listener, are listening to Eric and I communicate to each other. You can hear this because I've like converted it into an audio file and uploaded it to the internet. Even if all that stuff is working, you can still misinterpret me. If our communication was direct, meaning it was a cause that had an effect in your brain... There's no explanation as to how it could be misinterpreted, but because they're closed in this case, there can be errors made, just like in, in, in DNA transcription, there can be errors made, which is how evolution occurs. But I can also misinterpret myself in a sense by saying something that I didn't mean to say, like genuinely, uh, genuinely I can make mistakes. That's because, and the reason that I know it's a mistake is because I didn't say what I was thinking or I thought after I said it and I realized that I had made a mistake. That's because my psychic system and language as a general social system, my psychic system is not social, the language system is, it's closed off one from another because that mistake can be made. And this is gonna sound absurd, I know too. Of course I think in language. I'm laying in my bed, there's words going through my head. This is the link, the, this is part of language. And it's not, it's closed. And the proof of that, I guess, is you as you could uh imagine is the thoughts in your head do not contribute to language. If you come up with a new word in your head and just leave it there, no one else is ever going to say that word. Right? Because it doesn't affect Language as the circulating social system of all of English together. Now it's very, very, very difficult to change English. You could, you could probably not do it on your own. It does happen from time to time. And the reason it's so hard to change a language is because there are so many people speaking it. So it's in, in terms of uh, systems theory, it's extremely complex. Complex things are very hard to change. They can change. We get new words invented. Um, TikTok is is accelerating this process a little bit. But your mind is cut off from the language system. Once you speak something, then it has the possibility, the unlikely possibility, but a possibility nonetheless, of actually changing language as a social system. But that's why you would say something like, you don't think in language. You think in thought, and language is Distinct from that. But the fact that you speak in English, I mean, sorry, the fact that you think in English, however, shows that there is a structural coupling between your psychic system and that language social system that everybody shares and everybody contributes to.
1: Yeah. I think, I think one way to make it sound less weird, um, because in a way, this is just, how it's talked about in systems theory. And so it doesn't have the benefit of being very clear. Lumen is not an easy person to understand, but you can think of it if you've read, you know, postmodern theory, if you've read Derrida or Barthes or Foucault, especially, especially, you know, death of the author, what is an author? Basically anything Derrida writes, right? Intentionality does not determine the meaning of the text, right? The author's intention is not the meaning of the text, which is just another way of saying the psychic system, which is your thoughts, does not determine the meaning of language. The only thing that determines the meaning of a communicative event is really the next communicative event, <laughs> and and so on and so forth until either some kind of consensus is reached, which is rare, or communication just breaks off and goes in a different direction, which is more likely to happen, especially in the internet age. But that's one way to think about it, right? It's, it's a very sort of, not simple, but it's a very common point that postmodern theory is, of the text has been making for the past 80 years or so, is that intentionality is just you know it's one factor and it has to be deduced from the text itself you don't have any special access to the brain of the person who wrote this text and even while they were writing the text they were interpreting themselves in their own experience and having an internal dialogue and blah 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 and whatever came out of that in the form of a text is a very very incomplete and partial representation of all of that and then that takes on a life of its own and becomes inserted into what is it a book it becomes inserted into the the art system the system of works of art and and literary texts or if it's a painting you know this is the same or if it's sort a of podcast thing. episode yeah exactly i could say things that people interpret all kinds of ways and i could say i didn't mean to say that that's not what i meant But in the end, you know, I don't really get to dictate the meaning of the things that I use because languages sort of has to be that way for us to understand each other. It it may be it sounds weird, but from a sort of analytic perspective, it just makes sense to treat systems this way as closed. And it's a lesson that deconstruction and a lot of other post structuralist thinking gives us. And it's just now being translated into. A theory that is constructivist instead of deconstructionist, but deconstruction is always a gesture that has to be sort of made that's like, you know, Lumen writes, you know, second order observation is deconstruction. Deconstruction is second order observation. We have to begin by deconstructing the term system, which all system means is a difference. And all, all that is, is the difference between the system and the environment, (laughs) right? Sounds very strange all of it, but it's actually some good stuff if you've if you've been primed on post structuralism, it actually would help to connect it to some of that stuff. And then the, the- Yeah, another another good post structuralist
0: term would be the trace. When you say a system's closed, then you're saying it is the trace of something that came from a different system. You don't know directly where because it's now the resource of a new kind of communication. But the trace marks an absence, not a presence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. the, The trace structure is something that, again, we do not have direct access to. We sort of couple with it and try to finagle it into different things that we want it to be. But in the end, it's a collective kind of thing that we don't have control over. Derrida is trying to think the difference between machine and event, writing and thinking, and making these... Same sorts of distinctions, I would say, that Lumen really makes. And uh, if you really want a quick way just to start of, of, well, then, okay, if it's all this communication, then how are there even different systems? Well, communication needs a medium. And so the term here to use would be a symbolically generalized medium of communication. So the symbolically generalized medium of communication that we are currently operating in is of course linguistics linguistic language the symbolically generalized medium that the legal system operates in is what power validity validity is a legal term valid and invalid right certain arguments are invalid in the courtroom um, and also the economic system. What's the, that one's easy, right? Money. That's the symbolically generalized medium of communication in the economic system is money. We don't communicate with language. I don't pay you in words. I have to pay you in dollar bills. And so those, that's how you distinguish different social systems from one another. If you're looking at specific systems, well, we're, we're, we're sort of talking about social systems in general, at the moment, we, we don't get to the the functionally differentiated systems until we get a little deeper into lumen, I think.
0: Yeah, if you wanted to talk about a system that was not closed, like if you, if your mind was not closed, say, then communication there would mean that I am able to think your thoughts for you. The fact that I can't can never is kind of proof of this closure. And we, you and I, Eric, are having this conversation. The listener is kind of there, but not really there. They can't, they can't uh, communicate with feedback currently. They can feedback post-talk. But if you think about everything else that's going into this conversation that are not in the generalized system of exchange, because we're speaking in language, right? But if you think about how the listener is able to hear us, you and I are speaking into microphones right over the internet right now these microphones are turning sound into digital files that are into uh digital recordings that are going to be turned into one file that are going to be uploaded to the internet that when you press play on your device on your phone or whatever you're listening to this on are causing compressions in the air wherever the hell you are in your car or, or in your house um And you can hear those compressions, then those thought process, those that can inspire a thought process that produces either something comprehensible or something incomprehensible to you. So we're not even just talking about one thing happening. These are all closed systems where one system uses the resources produced by another one for itself. So I am causing air compressions in my room, which is how I make sound come out of my mouth. Um, the digital or the, the microphone is the kind of system that can turn air into a digital file, but I can't, my voice is not a digital file, right? So although this entire process seems like direct, you're just listening to us talk, it's anything but direct. And I guess the proof of that is that anything, anything could go wrong here. My microphone could be off when i think it's on my internet could fail while i'm uploading it i could say something i don't mean and then it goes out there and it gets clipped and then i get i get called a i don't know whatever i get called canceled um, times up while you're while you're listening to this your internet could cut out and you wouldn't be able to hear it anymore any single thing could happen in any one of those systems which would prevent communication um but because each of those systems is you know, relatively stable, they deal with uh, millions of, of interactions per day. Um, it's pretty rare that, that most websites go down, but when it does go down, that's when you notice it. That's when you really notice it. But you can see that any one of these systems failing doesn't cause the other systems to fail. If, our, if my internet cuts out right now, know, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily work. Um, if something went wrong right now, <laughs> Eric and I would be able to keep talking if something went on wrong on your end. And actually, on your end, this conversation happened yesterday. So, anyway, <laughs> this is kind of to connect it to our last week's conversation that this is like there, there's anything but direct communication occurring at this moment while you are listening to us. Um, you are listening to an audio file, like either on Spotify or that you downloaded to your phone. And that's that's what you were listening to. You're not listening to us right now. We're what are you doing right now, Eric? I mean like tomorrow at tomorrow and tomorrow afternoon, what will you be doing?
1: Uh I'll be uh dog sitting.
0: <laughs> okay, so you're listening to this while Eric is dog sitting.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I like, I always like to bring like the biology examples into, I'm not a biologist, but I pick up some things here and there. And, and, you know, if you treat say like, I don't know, a forest as, as, a, as a system, right. Everything is, everything is, is eating and pooping, right. That's basically what's going on there. And, and so something is turning sunlight into something else Then something eats that poops it out something else eats that poop something else eats that whatever that thing makes out of that poop right and you so you've got this complex system of all kinds of different things trees and plants animals and stuff but say the 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 new nu- there's a kind of nutritional medium I guess you'd say it's a it's a bi- a biochemical medium anyway and it, it continuously sort of you know just eating and shitting eating and shitting. If you- I,
0: I think you just nailed it. This is this is the this is why they're closed. Every system eats the shit of another system.
1: Yeah, like if I walk through a forest, it does not recognize my presence unless I'm stomping on things and making a big fucking fuss. Then it, then it might notice me. and re- it, But it only notices the parts of my behavior that are directly relevant to its medium of communication. It's not going to recognize me. It's not going to say, oh, Eric is in the forest now. Call the bears. It's not going to do anything like that because it doesn't recognize me as a, as a human. It recognizes me as how the fuck should I know it recognizes me as whatever is relevant to its sort of functioning as a a system and so that's I mean you say the same thing about the internet right the internet doesn't recognize us we're just user profiles or we're just whatever right we're just clicks little data inputs over and over again yeah the we're we're just a a cluster of data points at a data broker somewhere waiting to be bought and have ads targeted at us. We're not people to them. We are, again, potential, I guess potential dollar bills in the future, but.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, that's a long-winded, we, we should get back to, this is systems theory, but we should get back to the the post-human aspect of this. This is a descriptive model. Now, in most people's day-to-day life, you don't need to say, I listened to an audio file that was uploaded by Pills and Eric that was edited in this program that they, you know, you don't need to say all that. You can just say, I listened to a podcast with Pills and Eric. That's, That's fine. That's normal. But if we're looking for the human, technically, where is it? Where do you draw the line? Is the human my thoughts? Is it Eric's thoughts? Is it your thoughts? Is it my body? Like you you listener have zero interaction with my body ever thank God <laughs> <laughs> but like where where do you put my humanity do you put it in my intention you you don't have a fucking clue about my intention so where does the human become useful in this communication and my answer my personal answer is it doesn't it's not a useful model here. It doesn't add anything. Calling me a human or calling me a not human makes makes no difference to me. It doesn't add anything. So to bring this back to social systems theory, we started talking about politics here. The human, very very rarely, like the full human, using its mind, using its body, all of this stuff together is not very useful when you add it to systems. It's not very useful to explain what the law does, the legal system. It's not a very useful model for what politics does if we have you know, a human that has self-interest at the bottom of it. It's not useful for what the economy does. And what we realize is with the post-humanism addition to this systems theory, we don't really need the full human for anything. It's a word that obscures differences between systems, not one that adds to the accuracy of descriptions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I would I would say in it if we will really want to talk about humans in a social systems theory perspective, we can't really, because Lumen has already decided, and I think with good reason, that you know you take an individual, well, what are you interested in about this individual? Are you interested, like, right, yeah. Are you interested in their bank account? Are you interested in their vocabulary? Are you interested in their health? They're all, they're, first, they're structurally coupled with all sorts of different systems. And second, a human already consists of, you know, you have your biological system. That's a different, that's a type of system. You have your psychic system. That's a separate system, right? Your, your body and your mind, Communicate with each other, but not with all the caveats we've just been saying about communication. They're structurally coupled and they perturb each other. There's no shared medium of communication there. Your your body communicates with itself and it, you know, sometimes teases your mind a little bit. You know, you feel that rumbling in your stomach and you interpret that perturberance as oh hunger or you know you're, you're sitting inside you have vitamin d deficiency god I, I feel weird i need to go for a walk like you, you your psychic system is constantly interpreting your biological system and then on the other side of it your psychic system is is coupled to the social system you're you're constantly trying to interpret communications that you're receiving you're they go in your ear in a certain sense or they in your eyeball or whatever you're looking at and it creates a sort of again this this idea of perturbation or irritation and then your psychic system has to interpret that according to its own medium of communication so when you're trying to find the human being it's it's just dispersed among various different systems so i mean it yeah. Okay. Always in a common sense way, you can get by. So that's a human there. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, but we're not really we're doing a we're doing a systems theoretical analysis. Then that that's not going to cut it because we need to look at again these mediums of communication, and what closure means in that sense is yes, the com- the, the system can only communicate with itself in that medium, but also you don't look at a system. Like, you don't go out and look at, say, the economic system. You, you go to a bank, stand in front of the bank and look at it. Are you looking at an economic system? No, you're just looking at a structure. You're looking at a structure that maybe embodies this economic system, right? Because really what's important to look at when you're looking at a closed system is its organization, the relations of relations. And those relations are realized in structures your the organization of the body is realized in the actual fleshy thing that you have but that organization is not directly observable you can only observe let's say the you can only observe the observations right and that's going into strange territory but we're looking at second order systems so second order means observers observing observers and I heard a really a really maybe easy way to understand that is you know the value of anything is not related to its materials the material thing in front of you you pick up whatever's in front of your phone okay how much is that phone worth is that determined by the material value of all the components of the phone no it's not it is determined by what other people think it's worth right it's determined by what the what the stock market says it's worth right that's why stock markets are the the financial market is speculative because it's not valuing things based on their value the value of a house for instance can go up or down it's not because the bricks magically just get more and less valuable during a day based on their material components. It's because observers are observing other observers who are making observations, right? It's a second order thing. It's, it's The economic system is only valuing things based on what other people are valuing them at. It sounds strange, but that would be first order if it was the other way around.
0: Yeah, even money, like a $5 bill is not worth $5, actually. <laughs> yeah. And $5 might and f- not be worth the same than $5 next day. might be worth different today when like, uh, you know, inflation, things like that. Like money is not real value. It's kind of, it's social value, actually. It's yeah. value to the system. And you don't determine that. In a similar way, you don't communicate with the internet. If you could then you could just be like sitting alone and talking and the internet would know what you're saying. (laughs) Which I guess it kind of does if there's like an Alexa in the room or if you're talking into a microphone. But no, to communicate with the internet, you have to like have an internet connection and then be able to type something either on your phone or your keyboard. That's the communication that it realizes. The internet doesn't recognize you as a person. It doesn't give a fuck. You might be a bot. It doesn't give a fuck. Communication will continue either way. A bot will shit stuff out. It will read it. You can shit stuff out into your keyboard or into your phone, and it will read that. But you, as a self-contained individual, you're not in the internet.
1: It can affect your mind, though. I should say that. That actually makes me wonder something. You know how, you know how they do monetize things on YouTube, right, based on how many, like, likes and views you get right i wonder if that's ever happened with a bot in some kind of context i don't know if twitter really does that but you know if this twitter accounts a bot account and it has tons and tons of views i wonder if it's ever gotten you know like job offers or (laughs) offers to monetize i
0: think that sounds a hundred percent like it's much weirder things have happened, so that seems pretty
1: likely. If you program the bot to open its own bank account, it could just start getting paid. Suddenly we'll have bots with bank accounts that make loads of money. And that's neither here nor there. I think a, a more another intimate example, if I can go out onto very dangerous territory here and talk about li- labor <laughs> and the Marxist theory of labor, right? <laughs> well what is your labor worth, right? You're trying to get a job. You're trying to sell your, your labor on the job market. How much do you think your labor is worth? Well, in a sense, how much you think your labor is worth is completely meaningless because the market values your labor. And it's based on the total value, the total availability of labor and what needs to be done. And so again your labor you you, the value of what your body can do in a day is is determined by second order observation it's determined by market observers observing other market observers observing other market observers and so on and so forth and the fluctuations of those chains of observations make values of things like your labor or your car or whatever go up and down and the labor market being a very important one for marxist theory i don't know could we have a sort of <laughs> marxist systems theory i, I may, maybe not according to lumen but i think um i think that's a very sort of intimate kind of thing because our labor is valued on the market and we all need to have a job and our labor is not valued according to what we think about it or how good your parents think you are at doing something it's just it's a second-order thing, right? Again, second-order observers observing observers who are observing other observers, constantly, and we haven't even talked about self-observation yet, which is a key component of this. But again, like I said, it's that recursive thing, right? I'll get to it later, but just take us on, take us at our word for now, and yeah, Lumen Lumen does bring up Marx
0: uh, favorably in, in different aspects, and you can also like credit Marx with being not i mean at the beginning he's very humanist and then like by capital he's co- not very humanist he's much more concerned with uh value and the way that value flows and and is affected and controlled basically like externally from humans humans they do create value in terms of like creating a a commodity through industry but the, the determinant value of a thing is not up to any person. A person doesn't decide that once once it enters, you know, uh, the market. So, yeah, I guess to 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 circle to do full circle here. In summary, this might sound really weird. There are no humans in society, but you could you could think very easily that we already do this most of the time. We we do this when we're not being theoretical. So, are there any humans in a store? Or are there just, um, you know, cashiers, managers, and shoppers? Do you need a full human? Or is cashiers, managers, and shoppers enough? If you go into a psych ward, everyone in the psych ward, are they a human? Well, yeah, colloquially, they are. But what matters in a psych ward is are you a patient? Are you an orderly? Or are you a doctor? Everyone has a very recognized role, and that's what matters to that context. So what Lumen is is saying with society is uh, knocking over a sacred cow. And the sacred cow here is that it's been never doubted pretty much by, by anyone in the political spectrum that society is a group of humans. All he's doing is taking that logic of the store, where there are like defined roles, and that's all that really matters while you're in there, or the psych ward. That's all that really matters while you're in there. Um, a patient cannot give pills to doc to a doctor, but an orderly can give pills to a patient. It's like a one-way communication in that sense, one one form only that transfers only one direction because of those roles and kind of what lumen is saying is think of society more like one of those strictly defined communication contexts rather than a collection of individuals and if you buy this if you read a whole bunch of it and like kind of internalize it it doesn't really make sense to have the human anymore because what does it add and you can say it adds something, maybe I'm missing something, for sure, no doubt. But when you look at the legal system, does the human add something, or does it matter who's the judge, who's the lawyer, who's the plaintiff, and uh, you know all the other shit that I don't know about. So think of society like that. It's a bunch of broken contexts that don't necessarily transfer one to another, you know?
1: Yeah, the one, I think, the way that different kind of sociology would do it is it would look at social roles like you know political system politician legal system lawyer economic system oh yeah system, sorry banker. i'm not saying that that that's definitely what it sounded like but why don't you correct me no no i mean i i was just trying to give a contrast there cuz it would i mean if we did look at systems as consisting solely of human beings, at least social systems, then it would be really hard to make distinctions between political, legal, social education, art system, all the different functional systems in a society. It would be very hard to make those distinctions. The only other way you could do it would be to look at roles, social roles. And this this is kind of Marx's approach too, what sorts of roles become available under capitalism, The, the capitalist, the laborer, the petit bourgeois, all those sorts of roles, right? So, so Marx is Marx is obviously pioneering this new approach, and it's something that that systems theory, I think, is departing from quite radically in a certain way, but doesn't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater because, you know, communications are. Then we found a way to distinguish these systems based on their, like I said before, to, as a reminder, the symbolically generalized medium. Of communication, so all these systems operate via communication. They just have different mediums. Again, to remind you, this is a language one that you're hearing. <laughs> in case, in case you think we're made of money, we are not. I wish that were the case, but you know we can dream. And then I guess um, yeah, you can help us be made of money.
0: Just join the Patreon. There and you I go. do want to correct myself before I forget, because if it sounds like I can hear the misinterpretation happening um, tomorrow. If it sounds like i'm saying that there's just roles in context that's not really what systems theory is saying i was using that as an analogy but what makes each of those people a their role is the actions that they are able to do if they if they are not doing anything the system does not recognize them once you are done your credit card payment like you tap your card or whatever the system doesn't know you exist. Like in, in its world, in its reality, which is a term that Lumen actually uses, that there are different realities that never meet up together. In the reality of the credit system, after you tap your card, you disappear from reality. You might reappear again once you tap again. But as insofar as the system is concerned, you're not a person. It doesn't give a fuck. Someone might steal your card and use it, it doesn't care
1: yeah that's all just it, a all single that it cares event is
0: the event yes exactly so it's an event based
1: uh, methodology yep that's just a communicative event that links up to other communicative events that respond to it there's no you, the human being leaves is left behind you don't follow your money through your wire transfer and pop out on the other side only your money does <laughs> Right? Well, that- a, this is another good example. When you go to an ATM and deposit money, that
0: money doesn't go anywhere. It's still sitting right in the ATM. <laughs> it's there. But like, you, I, I'm going to reuse your example because I think it's good. I'm going to re-shit out your example. <laughs> that you shit your money into the ATM. The money itself shits its value into digital format it goes through whatever internet and is deposited into your bank account as a number. The money's still there, the money never moved. But this value exchange has taken place in three different closed systems. You as a person who's holding the money, the ATM as a box that co- that is connected to the internet, and then I don't know how banking works, how bank accounts work, but whatever <laughs> happens, whatever happens over there it happened as a closed system and your money, your shit is still in the ATM.
1: <laughs> it's a little bit, a little bit of the danger of trying to describe <laughs> in detail what goes on is you got to just know everything about everything, but I think it gets the point across. And I think to return to maybe to post humanism on this one too, it's, um, you think where does the ethics come from is there no ethics to this is it kind of a morally dangerous point of view to take up and i would say in a way no because lumen is maybe more what is described as anti-humanist but more importantly he's not trying to be normative he's not trying to make value judgments he's not trying to you know make moral pronouncements on these things he's just trying to describe it and he's not trying to make moral claims so what post-humanism seems to do is it actually puts a higher premium on on arguments that are value-based and value-driven I think there's a certain moral imperative to regard you know other beings with a non-hierarchical radically sort of different value system right like you know, what's your, what is your, how much money is your grandma worth or something like that? We can't translate the value of a human into the value of money. We can't translate the value of an animal into the value of, of whatever hamburgers. You can't do that because everything, it's a kind of pluralistic framework. So the value, the, the more, the morality, the ethics, the praxis that goes into the praxis, I should say, Comes from a kind of leveling of hierarchical relationships. And I think social system theory does this too in a certain way. It levels the hierarchical relationships in the sense, I guess, maybe just limited to that, you know, it doesn't put the humans at the center of every single social system. In fact, it evacuates humans completely and dissolves them into biological and psychic systems instead.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of any place where you would have a hierarchy and it's like a an imminent world it doesn't have hierarchies there are stronger and weaker systems right yeah Um, there would be
1: systems valuing themselves in various ways but that valuation might not you know it might not carry on to other systems it might not it might just be a local contingent valuation that changes very quickly
0: yeah so strong systems are basically just very complex ones. Weak systems are ones that don't have a lot of moving parts, like this conversation. It's a weak system. We can just turn this off with one button at any time.
1: and There would be no flexibility or variety, in. Uh, but we could pick it up again next time, and it may be picked up in the chats, in the Discord, on the Internet. It may be picked up in various ways and live on through that, but it would be a kind of, yeah, it, it would be more at that (laughs) anyway and uh yeah
0: that's that's interesting so if they if they give feedback to us they're not actually giving feedback to us right because we're having this conversation they're they have no feedback right now but once they feed back then we can read it but we are no longer ourselves as we are at this moment yeah yeah, we, we, we could we could listen to our own podcast and we'd be communicating to ourselves, actually, <laughs>
1: in a certain sense. Yeah. And I think if we go back and, you know, if you read the feedback later, you're, you're then you're sort of, again, structurally coupling to a communicative system and you sort of have to interpret it. Right. <laughs> Bad feedback might make me feel bad. Good feedback might make me feel good. Good feedback might give me new ideas I try out next time or new topics. I didn't think of approaching next time. And then I then again, I I have to then do what structurally couple again with the communication system, put those ideas out there in the form of language, which is then then it leaves me. Then my my intentions don't carry along with the words I use. And so maybe that's a way to. There's think.
0: another word we haven't used yet, which is selection. So you're going to have to select which, which, which of those communiques are relevant, which ones you want to use to change your future behavior and so on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what about those communications I might find relevant? I might see, there might be a really great comment and I pass it over. Cause I don't think it's relevant. That would be my mistake. But in the end, that's just sort of how it works. That would be a kind of miscommunication or even if you can even describe it in those terms, it would just I would just interpret in a certain way and I would select it for removal from my care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but there also might be like
0: a really bad comment that you interpret as something much more profound than it was intended, and that would still be a correct communication, even if you misinterpreted it. So yeah, it, I mean, would, it I- would have an effect
1: on the podcast. And then if I gave that interpretation back to the, uh, commenter who <laughs> just did it off the cuff, they might be very surprised by how deeply I <laughs> read into Look, it. I was stoned when I wrote that. Yeah, no, it would be completely valid on my part to read into it in that way. And it would be <laughs> valid for you to be surprised that your, your off the cuff communication had such an impact on me. So always, always go for it. I guess <laughs> if you're not first, you're last.
0: So next week, uh, what you have to look forward to, because we already planned for it and then this took up all the time, but what you have to look forward to is, uh, do I want to say shitty or just bad? <laughs> There's also really bad post-humanism that says some very unconvincing things and leads to very poor models. Really, what we're arguing for here is that this is a better model of a lot of things and most things. It's not very useful in your day to day life, but it's useful if you want to figure out why something doesn't work, like, uh, i.e., revolution. Why doesn't it work? Well, not enough people are hungry. So, mm-hmm. uh, why don't we call it there? You can look forward to some, uh, some, some bashing next week, at least from me. I think Eric's a little bit more sympathetic when it comes to the authors about whom we'll be talking. But, uh, for now, Good
1: one, dude. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think. Well, we'll get. I, I think there there is a limit to my enjoyment of posthumanism, so maybe it will come up a little bit next week. I like what it's about, but sometimes I just don't like the way it communicates. <laughs> Inside, <don't... laughs> <laughs> I
0: wanna I wanna learn about Gaia. So, hey, oh, the Gaia hypothesis.
1: Yeah, I wanna bring, learn about the Gaia a hypothesis.
0: In. I don't know anything about that, and it sounds like it could be very misinterpreted, but it also sounds quite cool.
1: So, love Lynn Margulis, love James Lovelock. Yeah, we'll get into it.
0: All right, goodbye, listeners. This is uh, the end of our communication
1: for today. Communication over. Uh-huh.